This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. The pandemic did not impact every leader and congregation equally. Obstacles, pressures, and risks varied, as they do in regular life, based on a litany of factors. In this special bonus episode, I want to sit down and unpack with an all-star lineup of Arbor researchers how the pandemic disproportionately impacted leaders and congregations. So to do that, we're going to look at differences in terms of education, gender, individual ethnicity, location, age, and congregational ethnicity. Welcome to COVID and the Church. I'm your host, Aaron Hill, editor of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Join us as we unpack the results of Church Salary and Arbor Research Group's landmark study on the impact of COVID-19 on the American church. Download your free copy and follow along with our discussion by visiting churchsalary.com slash COVID study. As we've discussed, one of our biggest surprises was that the strength of state restrictions did not appear to significantly impact attendance, budget, giving, or staff size changes at churches across the country. Instead, one of the biggest predictors was how congregations reacted to the implementation of pandemic health measures. The two strongest predictors of how a congregation would react ended up being location and ethnicity, both individual and congregational. There's a lot to discuss here, but we're going to try and keep this more conversational because we're talking about the details of a lot of complicated charts and graphs. Because of all the charts and data, though, perhaps more than any other chapter, I recommend that you download a free copy of the report. You can find a link in the show notes and follow along with us as we discuss. I am genuinely excited to tackle our findings on disproportionate impact and outcomes with Dr. Tyler Greenway, Dr. Eric Shea, Reverend Ebony Davis, and CEO of Arbor Research, Dr. Terry Lenhart. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Great to be here. So let's start out with our first variable, education. Tyler, why don't you kick us off? What role did education play, or more precisely, what differences did we see in terms of education levels between pastors? Yes, we found a few differences across education levels, particularly related to mental health and changes in title and responsibilities within their role. So on average, we found that people with higher levels of education were more concerned about their mental health during the pandemic. We asked a question, how concerned were you about your mental health during the pandemic? And about 11% of leaders with an associate's degree said they were very concerned. And about 17% of leaders with a doctorate said they were very concerned. So about a 6% increase there. About 3% of leaders with an associate's degree said they were extremely concerned, and that number more than doubled among those with bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degrees. We also asked about title changes and changes in responsibilities, and when we asked about title changes, we found that leaders with less education were more likely to experience a title change during the pandemic. Uh, title changes unconnected to the pandemic were fairly consistent across education levels. But for title changes connected to the pandemic, we found that those with a bachelor's degree or less experienced the most title changes compared to uh, others. Uh, we also asked about changes in responsibility and leaders with the most education, a doctorate, were the least likely to see the responsibilities change during the pandemic. And those with a bachelor's degree were the most likely to experience a change that was unconnected to the pandemic. 
Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me about this in terms of the concern about their mental health, if you group the very and the extremely concerned together, you could see that it got higher as it went up in terms of education level. Do you guys have any ideas or theories about about why that might be? Maybe higher levels of education, they're more responsibility or what do you think? I, I wonder about several different things related to education level, if that impacts where their church is, if that impacts the kind of mm. church they're in, the denomination they're in, the people they're working with, those kinds of things. So there's quite possibly a lot of other things going on there associated with education level, too. I mean, the educator in me wanted to say, get your degrees, folks, you know, because it uh, keeps me in business <laughs> a little bit. But uh, certainly what Tyler said, and Eric, you can confirm this, too, is uh there's a there's a relationship here, not a, necessarily a cause, but uh, it does connect to perhaps some other things. But it, as also, I think those of us who do watch the education process happen, there is a durability that uh, seems to correlate with education. I think uh, a stick to itiveness, an ability to uh, take on some characteristics that could survive difficult times there a little bit, and of course age. Uh, there as the oldest person on the podcast today, as we were joking before the show, that uh, <clears throat> I'm aware that, uh, you know, getting a doctorate means I'm a little older than someone with just an associates too. Yeah. To me, one of the things that was interesting was that when we grouped it together in terms of what caused the title change. So uh, this is one where I was trying to make sense of some of the data that we had. And so I grouped all the different options that we asked into, well, did they move to a different church? Or did they stay in the same church, or were they let go from their position? And in terms of what caused the title change, it was obvious that the more education they had, the more likely their title change was tied to moving to a different church. And the less education they had, the more likely it was that it was the same church. And to me, that just makes sense intuitively because you know you get to you're the senior pastor, you're the executive pastor, you're higher up in the leadership. There's no path for you in terms of promotion. And so you're more likely to move to a different church than maybe a you know younger guy, youth pastor that gets a promotion or something like that during the pandemic and get some titles added to them. So I was thinking, and I'm not sure, but also depending on the education, as we stress this, these are correlations, not causations. Yeah. And it could be also with education, it could be maybe like where they get their news from, like, like who are they influenced, mm. or also even maybe kind of where are they located? Maybe those that are higher educated might be also, we'll talk later about location, but it's like, what kind of churches might you be at? Where might you be? And so there's a lot uh, of maybe synergies or relations between other aspects that might be more causing this, but it's we're capturing it right now through education. So there is a lot of data, a lot of things that we have to kind of sort through, but there could be a lot of relations, correlated yeah. uh, variables that, that, that are, that see that same uh, response result. Yeah. A lot of other variables that we didn't isolate for like denomination and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other thoughts on the impact of education? I was just thinking that I wonder too, and I think about um, education and, and, you know, what level of degree you're at. Oftentimes it might correlate with things like whether or not you're bivocational and and how long you've been in the particular ministry field um, that you're in. And so those things might end up uh, making us feel more like a firmer foundation within that place of ministry versus someone who has a lower education or perhaps is, is bivocational, maybe in a position where they're not as secure in their position to begin with. So Ebony, let's pivot. Let's talk about gender a little bit. Uh, help us find a way into this next section and the disproportionate impacts that we could tease out based on gender. 
Yeah, yeah. There were some places that I felt like women were hit pretty hard in this study. One of the things that really stood out to me is that female leaders were almost four times more likely to be let go or fired during the pandemic than male leaders. Um, So that Mm. was about 30% versus 7.8%. But then the female leaders who stayed within the same church were more than twice as likely to be promoted internally than their male peers. Yeah, that's the one that I saw. And I just, you know, the significance of that really took me back. And I wish we would have dialed down a little bit more into that, I think, through focus group. But certainly was something that I think was shown to be statistically significant that because of the connection to gender, these things happen. Yeah, one of the other ones that stood out to me was the uh, question about mental health. You know, how concerned were you about your mental health? And, And when we looked at that, the male respondents had a slightly higher level of extreme to moderate concern than females. So it's like 46% to 40%, which isn't huge, but I felt like it was worth noting that men seem to have a little bit more concern about their mental health during the pandemic than female pastors. So to piggyback on that, that's something that through sorting through the survey, there is a lot of questions that we asked. And fortunately, we did get a lot of data. And so being able to pull and look through like the different genders looking through as we go through the different ones, education that we had, we didn't know there, there are some assumptions that we might've thought, but it's really looking mm-hmm. through here that we look through a whole cross section and being able to look through the nation and seeing the differences. And especially because I, I would have to reference again, but the percentage of respondents and how many were female versus male, obviously female were much less than the males. So being able to pull and compare this, rather than just grouping or aggregating everything and say, oh, on average, they didn't have much of a title change or on average, they, yeah. but when you look into, when you start separating it out, that's part of what we wanted to do in this uh, project is to look at the disproportionate outcomes of those different groups or those smaller groups. It, one of the charts I wanted to talk about with you guys was the responsibility changes as well. So one of the questions that we asked was, have the responsibilities you perform changed? And then we we sort of asked, like, during the pandemic, I was assigned more responsibilities related to fill in the blank. And there's a couple options there, administration, supervision, teaching, technology, and pastoral care or counseling. And what I thought was very fascinating and was statistically significant was that the males were assigned teaching responsibilities at a much higher rate than female pastors. So male pastor leaders were assigned responsibilities in the areas of teaching, technology, and pastoral care more than females. And females tended to be assigned more responsibilities related to administration and supervision. And that, to me, seemed very eye-opening. Any thoughts on that? No? Well, um, Just cringe faces? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts that I'm scared to say. <laughs> <I was> gonna, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it was almost like we were forced into these very traditional gender roles, especially when we think about all that's going on um, in church culture right now with men and women and, and you know, compliment, compliment, I can't even say the word, but with men and women in ministry. Thank you. Um, and so I think there we were really forced almost into um, very traditional, and it was assumed that if you are a male, that these would be the best added responsibilities for you. And then on the other end, it's assumed that if you are a female in ministry, more administrative type things would be the best responsibilities added to you. So um, it really speaks a lot about what's going on in our culture right now, um, and in, in some ways, maybe how far we haven't come. Yeah. 
One of the questions that we asked is whether they seriously considered quitting or resigning. What did we find there? Were there any noticeable or quantifiable differences? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. The The difference there is it's kind of flipped because males are more likely to have considered quitting during the pandemic, uh, comparing like 15% male, 11% female. Uh, but now looking at, yes, I'm still considering quitting. The difference is, you know, about six or 7%. Males were about 15% to say they were still considering resigning. And females were about 22% who are still considering resigning as a result of pressures related to the pandemic. Yeah, that definitely seems eye-opening, the differences in terms of now obviously more more female pastors are still considering it than than men. Terry, so I wrote in the opening of the next section that quote evaluating response based on individual ethnicity leads to one simple and overarching conclusion. We were afflicted by the same disease, but we experienced different pandemics, incredibly different versions. So there's a lot to talk about here in terms of individual ethnicity, but what were some of the differences that stood out to you? When we set out together to explore this entire conversation about COVID in the church, funded by the Lilly Foundation, their interest was particularly in underrepresented churches in national research, often churches with minority pastors, minority congregations. And so this was an opportunity for us to really drill down deeply and to even be able to segment populations along ethnic lines. And, and it was very uh, insightful. While it's acknowledged that the pandemic was uh, a chaotic and intense time for white pastors, the research showed that it was quantifiably worse for minority leaders. And as we drilled down more than that, there was even more distinct differences. So uh, largely white pastoral leaders reported lower levels of concern for their mental health, but the highest levels of concern for mental health during the stage was among the Asian uh, respondents, and particularly because that's a diverse continent, East Asian leaders. And so I really enjoyed the work that Eric and Tyler did delineating this out about, you know, why might that be? What are the concerns? And we did a few questions about ranking the top three concerns, and there was a much higher concern for family responsibilities, particularly African-American pastors had a higher burden for the physical health of their people because it seemed that African-American people were suffering in ways physically that others weren't from the pandemic. And then there was a, a general work-life balance that was shared as the top concern for people who come from Native Hawaiian, American Indian, East Asian, and Asian population as well. And the reasons for that, we don't know, but there just seemed to be a, a general concern for things that transcended the basic idea of you know mental exhaustion or, or worry about the congregation. In my mind, it makes sense, obviously, because of COVID coming from Asia, and you saw a lot of rhetoric targeting that, and there were definitely incidents about that. So I know for myself personally, as an Asian and being more interested in the news and seeing different things and incidents that arose, it, it kind of validates, it does validate what we see in the surveys, what the people's response is to what we expected. So it, yeah, it's understandable why we saw that. And also, another thing that we noticed in the survey is that the kind of the job titles of all the ethnicities change at a significantly higher percentage than either white or black and African-American. In other words, pretty much compared to whites or blacks, all the other ethnicities, pretty much like Asian or Hispanic or Native American, they were more than three times likely to have a job title change. So really looking at it, it's like, oh, okay, that's 
these are interesting points that are surfaced from the data. And one of the things that these also took on more of compared to other pastors was uh, a higher degree of pastoral care and concern. Mm. And we certainly saw that in focus groups with conversations that pastors, particularly where there was like, um, I remember a, a Chinese church from Virginia, the pastor was talking about his congregation in ways they were very slow to, to meet back together. You know, they were still mm. wearing masks and and slow to gather well beyond other churches. But just the way he talked about the, the church as a whole, uh, and maybe it's that communal culture, I, I don't know, but it was just a, it was with much greater care and pastoral tone, I think, than, than I heard in the rest of that focus group. I remember it well. Anything else that stands out to you guys in that, that section there in terms of differences based on individual ethnicities? I just want to encourage people because there are a lot, and especially those that are minorities, any pe- listeners to kind of look in and delve into the details because there are a lot. And it's good to not just look at your own, but even other ethnicities to see, especially the part that Terry was talking about, where we rank what aspects are you worrying about to really see and to realize, because a lot of times we we see things or worry about things and expect everyone else to, to think that same way and to realizing that, hey, even different people, different leaders, but also different maybe congregational members that you might have, might have these different concerns that they're worried about. And it's, it's a great uh, resource and opportunity to think through and how to address or talk about some of these worries. Yeah, definitely. The, the chart where we talk about ranking your top three concerns, I, I actually created that and I want to include that in this section because when you, you, know, you group everybody together and you look at the all, you know, mental exhaustion is number one. Worrying about congregation is number two, and then workload slash life balance is number three. But when you single out the other ethnicities, Black or African American, American Indian, Native Hawaiian, East Asian, you can see that their priorities are are different, at least when it comes to that top three. And so a number of them, as we mentioned, had a workload slash life balance was, was higher ranked. And then for Black or African Americans that worry about their congregation was the number one concern. So it's very interesting to go through and look at uh, some of those individual differences. And that's where probably like reading the chapter and looking at these charts is really going to help out. One of the fascinating things for this was that one of our original questions we were uh, asked to explore was related to church finances, particularly church finances related to minority populations. And I don't know if it was the PPP support or whatever, but very early we discovered that church finances were not going to be an issue. And we've talked about that in other podcasts, that people were stepping up, there were opportunities, there was provision. You see that in this chart. For white congregations, there was a higher concern about church finances, but for other populations, less so compared to other things. And I I think that's um, a helpful thing. This is why you do research, right? You assume some things because of our reality that may or may not be true, and that's why you dive in and say, okay, what is it like for that church in that community? And that's why we try to always do multiple types of research and projects like this. Yeah, it's fascinating to look at those top concerns, and you look at Native Hawaiian, East Asian, or All Asians, and church finances is next to last. So uh, clearly, not that they didn't have any financial pressures, but they clearly were able to sort of band together and uh, get the support that they needed, and they were more concerned with, with other things than we thought that it would be church finances. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, 
Hope and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. So, Eric, one of the other variables that I was really interested in, and I know that you were as well because you helped me out with most of this analysis, was location. So uh, kick us off on this section, unpacking location. Specifically, maybe we could start out just talking about how we evaluated location because there's lots of different ways you can look at that. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we actually asked the uh, respondents to self-categorize and we decided to break the location up into four different types, one being the large cities, second being suburbs, third being a small town, and fourth being rural areas. And so there's some back and forth about how, like, do we note by their zip code or their location or we let them self-categorize? Uh, and at the end, we decide mm -hmm. to kind of let them decide for themselves. And then definitely through this, we were, we were able to see a lot of differences between these four different types of categorization across different measures and different questions that we asked. Yeah, and I should note, there's a little bit of subjectivity. If you go in there and you look at population density, and you get some people that were living in, they said it was a rural area, and then you go look at the zip code and their population <laughs> density, it's 3,840 people per square mile. You're like, uh, that's actually a suburb or a city. So clearly there were some people in urban environments who felt like they were living in rural areas and vice versa. But it actually, I think that was actually ended up being helpful because that sort of perception of where you live, uh, I think, plays a role in some of this as well. So you guys chime in. What stands out to you about location? There's a lot to observe here. One of the things that really jumped out at me was the, the concerns for mental health. We had pastoral leaders in large cities were more likely to be concerned about their mental health than those in small towns, rural areas, or the suburbs. And it makes sense, right? If you think about it, I mean, you have probably a higher rate of the virus going around. There's perhaps more community need. Um, your listeners may recall an earlier episode where I mentioned a pastor who had moved from the Midwest into, from a suburban town, and he was called to a church in a large city on the West Coast. And he described it like a shock because mm. where he had come from, there were so many fewer restrictions. And then he arrives to this new city and the town is frozen, in his words. And so that was when the isolation set in. Mm -hmm. um, he said it was not a happy time. And so when you think about all of the reasons behind that, that's a, another piece of it that a lot of times in the city, there was many more restrictions and those were having their own impact. So I think stories like his really underscored these different experiences. And, and we had a sort of a case study in someone who had spent part of the pandemic in two <laughs> very different environments. What about uh, church closures and openings? Eric, this is something that we've talked about previously, you and I, not on the podcast, but uh, related to stuff. So what stood out there in terms of location, in terms of church closures and openings? So overall, when we looked at the data, church plantings, so the church openings, was not able to outpace church closures. So overall, more churches closed then were opened, and the deficit was much worse in small towns and rural areas. In other words, mm. in large cities or suburbs, it tended to have a higher opening rate. And in looking at the numbers, the amount of churches that are opening in rural areas is almost half the rate as compared to all other locales. So it, it seems like even church openings in rural areas is not happening much at all. 
or much lower than all these other ones. So it's really interesting to see how location plays such a big impact and on church openings and closures. One of the things that was interesting to me was when we looked at it in terms of the distribution of the activity, like how much opening activity was occurring in each of the different locations and how much closure activity was occurring. The closure activity was distributed fairly equally, meaning that if a church was going to close, it was going to close for a variety of reasons, and it wasn't necessarily tied to location per se. So roughly the same rate of churches closed in large cities as rural areas. But what stood out was the differences, like you said, in the opening activity. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, this kind of lines up with some data that we've seen from organizations that have tried to focus on planting churches in, in cities and urban areas. There's been a lot of support for that and probably not as much support for it in rural areas and small towns. And so that replacement rate is so much worse in small towns and rural areas that they're just disappearing at, at, at a higher rate. Looking at all the data overall and trying to make sense and see where the biggest differences are, I think for location, there's a lot of differences between these groupings, whereas some of these other ones such as maybe education, might have smaller differences. We saw a lot of differences for locations, such as even financial assistance. Like the larger the population the area was located in, the higher likelihood that it received financial assistance, especially from PPP loans. As we were talking earlier, location played a role in how congregations reacted to the pandemic health measures. So Mm -hmm. we thought like, oh, maybe... Uh, certain other factors might, but we realize that ultimately where the church is located is the highest correlation to how the congregation reacted. And in particular, the large city congregations were significantly more likely to have extremely positive reaction to the pandemic health measures. And then for the other communities, there it's more like mixed, like maybe more mixed positive or mixed negative. But looking at some of those and even in responsibilities of the number of employees, there's a lot of differences that we find in the location and how the churches experience the pandemic. Well, I was going to say the same thing Eric pointed out there, because I thought it was interesting how rural churches didn't take the PPP loan as much as the larger cities, but the larger cities were able to save more money, maybe because they had financing, I don't know, than the, the rural area. You know, we've talked a lot about implications for the COVID and the pandemic, and, you know, this project started out interested in the financial strain, but I do think that it's been a whisper throughout the podcast a little bit, but there is going to be an economic issue for churches going forward that Mm. isn't known yet. And, you know, as we look to 2024 and beyond, I think there's going to be some shuffling of how budgets and uh, are formed and how they're spent how we do hiring and all of that, especially in smaller churches, which most churches are smaller. You know, we intentionally did case studies because of the nature of this project. We didn't want to just do a survey. We didn't want to just do focus groups. So we intentionally picked about 10 cities and we got nine of them to come through and and did case studies there. We wanted to be able to unearth the stories there. And one of them is that, you know, there's going to be, there are some financial pressures that churches are, still yeah. navigating here at the end of 23. Yeah, I, th- I think that's honestly another reason why uh, not as many churches are being planted in small towns and rural areas. I think the income base in terms of what people can contribute in terms of per person giving is much lower in those areas. So you need to get more people around a church plant in order to actually create a self-sustaining church financially. And they're more spread out 
And so even the evangelism process and trying to reach people and the marketing and all that stuff is much harder. And so it's just much easier financially to get a church off the ground in a suburban or in a large city area. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, and we, we tried to highlight this, Tyler and I went back and forth over this chart because <laughs> there's really no good option here. So we, we, we tried to look at what percentage of churches implemented masking for any duration in a given year during the pandemic. And we tried to track this over time. And then when you break it down in terms of location, what we saw was actually early on in the pandemic, churches located in rural areas and small towns are actually more likely to implement masking than those in suburbs and large cities, at least in 2020. But then as you look through 2021 and then 2022, when we conducted the survey, there was a significant difference uh, in terms of rural areas and small town churches were much less likely to implement masking than those in large cities. And so we found that also for social distancing. So those were two areas where everybody kind of started out roughly the same in 2020. But then as time went on, masking and social distancing were much less likely to be practiced uh, in those more rural locations. I just want to mention one other thing, which is the I, I tried to test political affiliation and population density to see if they would be a better predictor of some of these things, specifically uh, the reaction to pandemic health measures. And it turns out that they weren't. It turns out that our four-category system of large city, suburb, small town and rural area was a better predictor of how churches would react to pandemic health measures than uh, who they voted for in the 2020 presidential election and uh, their population density. I, this is why I just enjoy, I think, doing doing research, the curiosity when we step in and what matters. And, you know, I think the responses to the mandates, the leadership's direction, how congregations did that, and then the location of the church, certainly, I think, the work that Tyler and Eric did showed that those were the best predictors. And if you saw those two things, then likely you could guess how it was going for the church. So Tyler, you noted in one of your initial reports on the survey that there were a lot of differences when it came to age, and I actually think some of the age charts are some of the coolest in this chapter. Can you summarize some of the main findings about age, and then and we can obviously dig into some specifics? Yeah, and I think, I think I would agree. I think these are some of the coolest charts. These are really great. <laughs> They're super interesting to look at. So two big things stand out to me, and that is that Older participants, and this is also true for people who were in their role longer, they had longer tenures. Uh, we're focusing on age here, but this is, I think most of these findings hold for those with longer tenures. Uh, but those who were older tended to have fewer mental health concerns, and they also tended to have fewer vocational challenges. And there's a variety of smaller findings that we can talk about, the, the kind of subcategories, but those are the two big things, vocational challenges and mental health concerns. If you were older, you had longer tenure in your role, you tended to fare better in terms of both of those things. It was, it was really interesting to look at the age charts um, and, and think about the ages of people who were more likely to have considered quitting or resigning vocational ministry as a result of the pandemic. And so the younger you were, the more likely you were to have mm. considered quitting or resigning during the pandemic. 
I'm just thinking back to some of the focus groups that I have. And this one guy really jumped out in particular in my mind because for a lot of them, it was like, you know, we just, they have a lot of zeal and a lot of energy and and they are here to serve God. And and there was this overwhelming sense of, this isn't what we signed up for. (laughs) And I can... (laughs) I remember one guy in particular, he was a young guy in his 30s, and, and he's talking about, you know, the garbage man. You know, he sees the garbage man, and he thinks, you know what, at this point, <laughs> I'd rather be the garbage man. And so I think the younger they were, the more likely they were to really be evaluating that against what they were really looking for um, in ministry. And so it was interesting to see some of that coming out in the focus groups and, and in the interviews. And, and to add some numbers to that, that great story. If you look at the chart, the numbers are for the 25 to 34-year-olds, we're looking at about 55% of them either considered quitting or are still considering quitting. So yeah. 55% for 25 to 34-year-olds. That number drops down to 11% for 65 to 74-year-olds who either considered or are still considering quitting. It looks like a ski slope. Yeah, pretty <laughs> steep ski slope. Yeah, I left the project having seen that finding, and I immediately started to sit longer with young leaders who are 25 to 34 and just ask questions how they're doing and listen and that long, you know, slow time with them just to to make sure because uh, uh, that's a significant area there. Yeah, especially the 26.2% that are still considering it, right? A quarter of the pastors between the ages of 25 and 34 are still considering it. And that's not good as far as the future of vocational ministry is concerned. And the mental health concerns are also also worth noting there. Uh, if we look at those 25 to 34-year-olds, 66% of them were either moderately or extremely concerned about their mental health during the pandemic. And then kind of the opposite of a ski slope, that it's just like a hill to climb here that it's about 25% for 65 to 74-year-olds, about 21% for 75-plus who are moderately or extremely concerned about their mental health during the pandemic. I would love to do a uh, another study of that right now, coming out of summer. We're recording this in late August, and I have heard a number of leaders say about this summer, which was kind of a normal one, and we haven't had one of those for a while, <laughs> how much they needed it. Yeah, how how mm. how this summer they took extra time and were intentional and it feels like coming into a new school year, which often our ministry calendars parallel, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, they feel different, and I'm hopeful, right? Because this is still a concern. Uh, Ebony, one of the biggest differences that showed up in our research was congregational ethnicity. And as we noted earlier, this is partly because different ethnic groups experience different pandemics in terms of the severity of the disease and the socioeconomic and the cultural impacts. But partially, I think this is also because congregations tend to respond differently based on their composition in terms of their ethnicity. So help us uh, tackle this topic, get us started here, maybe highlight some of the biggest insights that stood out to you in this uh, congregational ethnicity section. Yeah, well, one of the big findings in this is the opening versus closure rates. So in general, for every one church that opened, about 1.7 closed overall. But the worst rate among all ethnicities was found among majority American Indian or Alaska Alaska Native congregations, where about 2.3 churches closed for every one that opened. Interestingly, the, the only healthy outcomes are found among majority Asian and majority Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander co- congregations. Um, in majority Asian uh, churches, they had about 2.7 churches open 
for everyone that closed. And uh, majority Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander churches had sort of uh, had a neutral rate, one to one. And interestingly, also, the, the best performing ethnicities in terms of a closure versus opening rate were the least polarized in their responses to pandemic health measures. And so that was very interesting as well. That uh, finding of church closures parallels some studies that LifeWay did that in 2019 that said about 4,500 Protestant churches had closed in 2019, while 3,000 new ones had opened. So that 1 to 1. 1.7 that we found since that study seems to ring true that that's happening. And then that's a significant thing. And when we talk about the decline uh, and we talk about church planning and we talk about missions, you know, that's something the denominations and networks of churches are going to have to consider, uh, particularly in light of the increasing need for new churches in, in urban centers in rural areas and mm. uh, certain ethnicities. I think that's a very significant strategic thing for the church uh, going yeah. forward. What about uh, concern for mental health? Did anybody stand out uh, there in terms of congregational ethnicity? So leaders of majority white congregations were the least concerned about their mental health during the pandemic. But then the leaders of majority Asian and majority black or African-American congregations were the most likely to be concerned for their mental health. So for example, only 3.6% of majority Asian congregational leaders were not at all concerned, while 35% of black or African-American leaders reported either being very or extremely concerned. So there was a huge, huge difference there. Tyler, uh, what stands out there in terms of congregational ethnicity and uh, the pandemic health measures? Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me the most as I'm looking at these charts, looking at indoor masking, social distancing, refraining from singing, uh, for a lot of these charts, looking at the 2020 stats, there's a lot of similarity across ethnicities. But the further that time went on across 2021, 2022, that's where we begin to see so much variability. Uh, so these are these are heat maps, the charts that, that we're looking at here. And they're largely the same in color in 2020 for a lot of these charts. Uh, but things get much more varied, different shades as we move to 2021 and 2022. Yeah, one of the things that uh, somebody noticed they went to a conference uh, was mask wearing. From our results, 73% of majority Black or African American churches said that they were still wearing masks in inside the church in 2022, versus only 20% of majority white churches and 33% of multicultural churches. So indoor masking was definitely one of those things where you, you could definitely see majority Black or African American churches still practicing indoor masking, social distancing, and things like that, even into 2022. And another point about congregational ethnicity is just changes in attendance. So on average, congregations of all ethnicities saw an increase in attendance, but for majority Black or African American congregations, they actually on average saw a decrease in attendance. So those are some of the different things that we saw when trying to break it up to realize that not everyone might be experiencing the same things that uh, you might see or be aware of. Definitely. What stands out to you guys? Uh, there's a lot in this chapter. It's like 22 pages, lots of charts and graphs. Uh, what did we learn in terms of disproportionate outcomes, The all this variables and correlation? Well, for me, I think I'm going to sidestep it a little bit. I won't detail particular ones, but really for me, the, just the value of looking at the numbers, mm. but also to break it down to see how it impacts different demographics disproportionately. 
Many times we're bombarded with a lot of different numbers, a lot of different trends, but we often neglect the minority demographic groups. And so, mm. and we break it down so people are able to feel seen and heard in, in the same way that Jesus cares about each individual, each church. We not only conducted the single nationwide study and survey, but we also did these focus groups and case studies across the U.S. So it's really been a privilege for myself to partner with Aaron and the Church Salary Christianity Today team under the Lilly Endowment to unpack and tell the stories and trends of the impact of COVID on the church in the U.S. as a whole, but also bring individual stories to hear their miracles, but also the pain and sadness that our brothers and sisters in Christ experienced. So my hope is that those who are listening, that we all will use this as a resource, this 111-page guide to understand what others are going through. So as we see these, as we see some of the differences, but really taking, taking them and using that to be able to care and love others. What about you, Tyler? What stands out to you? What conclusions or insights either from this chapter or the study as a whole? I think one of the biggest things that I continue to think about is the role of polarization in the church. Particularly, we studied a specific thing, congregational reactions to pandemic measures. And we found a variety of different congregational clusters or groups, these reactions to health measures. Some were neutral, some were mixed, either positive or negative. Some were extremely positive, some were extremely negative. And we saw the implications for these reactions on leaders and on churches, on mental health, on title change, these, all these things. I'm interested to know what we can continue to learn about polarization in the church. I think this study is fairly unique in what we've identified and how we've asked these questions. I don't know of any other study that's looked at polarization in this way, but there are going to be other incidences coming up uh, in the future. You know, hopefully not another pandemic, but certainly other things that are going to challenge the church, and there's going to be polarization. What can we learn? What can we continue to learn about polarization and its effects on leaders, churches, mental health, all of these things? Another couple of things that stand out, um, one is the pain and weight of COVID. I'm thinking specifically about a focus group where one pastor said, COVID put a lot of miles on the engine. What he was saying here is they're still moving forward, but it, it was a weighty experience. It was taxing for him as a leader, and that strained his, his efforts in ministry, his resilience for ministry. And we heard a lot of that from pastors. There was a lot of difficult decisions that needed to be made, a lot of extra hours that were put in. So there was a lot of weight and a lot of pain that were associated with the pandemic. But then we also heard a lot of hope and resilience as well. And this was one of the more impressive things I think we saw in those focus groups and interviews is just these pastoral leaders continued on. Uh, they continued to lean into their mission and to their calling, and they continued to care for the people they were called to care for, which was wonderful to hear. One of the pastors that I reached out to to participate in this uh, podcast said that looking back at it was like trying to remember a migraine, that there is real PTSD associated with the pandemic for him. So I hope that a lot of healing can come from looking back at this. Nobody wants to, but I think it can be helpful for us to, to look back and examine these things. Ebony, you've yeah. been with us for a bunch of episodes. Yeah. You're here at the end. What, what stands out to you, uh, not just from this chapter, although I would like to know if there's anything that stands out to you from this chapter or, or just study as, as a whole. Well, from this chapter specifically, um, I think just the need to love our shepherds more, to love our pastors more, and to take care of our pastors more. 
I look at this chart that talks about our top concerns about mental health and well-being during the pandemic, and the number one being mental exhaustion. But it wasn't just mental exhaustion. It was mental exhaustion and worrying about the congregation and the workload mm. balance and the church finances and, and, and all of the things. And I think that COVID just kind of brought to a head what was already bubbling underneath of the surface. And so I think just the need of how do we move forward? How do we, now that our, our pastors have had an opportunity to express what they've been through, and we know that it wasn't just the pandemic, it was the pandemic and everything else, the racial tensions, everything that was going on. Mm. So how do we better love and care for the shepherds um, that God has placed over our congregation, um, I think is a huge one for me going forward. Um, another one yeah. being one who works in youth ministry, is I'm thinking about these new shepherds that are coming up and just the idea that so many of them considered leaving, it is shocking. And, and that should shock the church awake because our next generation of pastors aren't so sure they want to sign up for this. And so we really need to be thinking about why that is and what needs to change. Will we allow them to have the space to innovate, the space to change things, the space to make church relevant? relevant for the next generation. And I think COVID asked a lot of questions about that as well. Um, and Aaron, I know you know where I'm going for the last for the last one. And that is just that the Lord is doing great things in the midst of all of this, even in using this tragic time to bring to our awareness things that we have missed, that we've ignored. And so the Lord has given us so many beautiful things in the midst of all of this tragedy and, and all of the difficult things. He's given us a lot of beauty. And so the question is, he set this before us, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to focus on? What are we going to run with? Are we going to say, wow, look how God redeemed this and let's run with that redemption and go in that direction? Or are we going to revert back to the polarization, the you know all of the issues that came up? Um, and so I would just hope that we would embrace the beauty and that we would be ready to move forward with taking care of our shepherds and ready to let the next generation lead. I'll just mention one last thing before we close. To me, one of the things that stood out was this question that I asked Eric. We had this data and I said, hey, can you check and see if the severity or the length of pandemic restrictions at a state-by-state -state level played any sort of role here? And, you know, we just Eric just kind of threw everything in the fan, attendance, giving, <laughs> uh, staff size changes, you know, anything like, can we find any sort of correlation here? And, you know, nothing showed up that was to, even close to being significant. And the takeaway for me, and the reason why I wanted to highlight it in the report was, I think it's easy for us to focus on stuff that we can't control. It's easy to blame somebody outside the church and it could be it could be the culture it could be politics it could be state level politics it could be anything it's easy to sort of focus on all these things outside the church and say that's the reason why this happened to us but then when you see the differences in terms of the congregations the congregations that were more like-minded even if they just had a neutral response to the pen like well they didn't like masking they didn't like social distancing but they're just going to go along with it for you know a time period the neutral responses they were more likely to have a positive outcome. And so I just feel like one of the takeaways for me from this entire study is as a church and as churches, the world around us is going to change. We're going to face trials and setbacks. We're going to be persecuted from time to time. We're going to have to endure pandemics. But that doesn't mean that the gates of hell have to overcome the church, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, too often we are defeated from within 
because we refuse to accept responsibility for what we can control, which is sometimes how we react to these things, how we lead, how we follow our leaders, we do trust our pastor through these difficult times. And so uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for participating, not just in the podcast, but in this whole study for all your work on all the reports. Encourage you guys to go check out their other stuff, find them online, interact with them, lean on them for resources and uh, read their chapters. It's been a blessing to work alongside you guys. Well, Aaron, I uh, said this in the early episode, uh, but I just want to say thank you to you. We work with a lot of Christian organizations and key leaders, but it's uh, always a delight to work with you, to, to watch your mind work. You're the real hero of this project, of how you've orchestrated it and set direction. And, you know, on behalf of the other three here, the four of us, and then Jesse, John, Hope, and Michael as well, thank you for your leadership and I know CT values you and, and church salary. Uh, I've said this to you before. You're just hitting your stride, and I'm looking forward to seeing where you continue to lead your team forward with providing resources at a really necessary time uh, for the church. So thanks to you and, and your team and to Lily for funding the project. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. COVID and the Church is a production of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Aaron Hill, Terry Linhart, and Matt Stevens. Host, Aaron Hill. COVID and the Church is produced in conjunction with the Arbor Research Group and funded by the Lilly Endowment Incorporated through a grant from the Economic Challenges Facing Pastoral Leaders Initiative. Director for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Tyler Bradford Wright is our audio engineer, editor, and composer. Artwork provided by Ryan Johnson, and our art director is Sarah Gordon. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.